This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This week, we continue our focus on the fall and winter planning and planting season for gardeners in the Northern Hemisphere. And today, we're dialing in on design through the lens of 20 gardens, which taken together offer a mosaic of what it means to be an American gardener or an American garden. We're in conversation about this with Nick and Allison McCullough, who, along with Teresa Woodard, are the creators of the new book, American Roots, Lessons and Inspiration from the Designers Reimagining Our Home Gardens. Nick and Allison, it was a pleasure to be asked to write a testimonial for this book, an even greater pleasure to hold it in my hands, and an even greater pleasure still to speak with you today. Congratulations on the book and welcome to Cultivating Place. Well, thank you so much. We are absolutely thrilled to be here. Yes, we are. So I'm going to summarize a little bit here to get us moving into the topic of Midwestern modern design and the landscape focus in the book itself. You were both born and raised there in the Midwest. Nick, you in Ohio, to a mother who ran your family's strawberry farm and a father who was in seed sales. You joke that you popped into this world with two gardening and green hands, and you hardly wore shoes until you were eight years old. You spent much of that time running free and barefoot, in the fields, swimming in the creeks with your dogs, in the great beauty you consider Midwest summers. Allison, you too were born to a gardening and farming family, but you didn't have that same specific interest in this path until you met Nick, who even in high school already had a landscape maintenance business on the side. Nick went on to study landscape architecture at Ohio State, but you came to realize pretty quickly you wanted an even more direct relationship with plants, and so you moved to industry and horticulture. You went on to study for a full year year in England to complete your more formal garden design training. And you worked and were inspired by the likes of Arabella Lennox Boyd and John Brooks, Dan Pearson, Pete Aldolph, Fergus Garrett, Tom Stewart Smith. And it was this formal British garden design structure that you brought back to the U.S. to begin your own life path, molding these early influences into a particularly American and Midwest modern aesthetic. I really want you to start with the point where you return to the U.S. You and Allison are already on this life path together, even though she didn't go with you to England. How do you bring the vividness and the joy of that experience in England and your childhood in the Midwest into this next phase of your life without your garden design being derivative or beholden to either one of these things alone? Well, and that's it. It's, I think it's a subconscious. Um, when, when I was there, you know, you're just, it's a feast for your eyes. So, you know, it's not just direct translation. It's not direct, you know, rip off, so to speak, but it is that, you know, these principles of how they set up a garden, how you flow through a garden, how you move, my biggest thing is to create mystery in a garden. So there's always corners to go around, to peek through. To, and I think that's what the English garden does so well. And so it's one of those things that, um, you know, I still subconsciously recall all the time. I can visualize myself walking through, you know, Graysgarth Hall or, or Hidcote or something like that and how those hedge, that hedge work and things set up. And certainly you know, our climate is similar and so different at the same time, even though England is certainly moving to more of a Mediterranean, you know, type summer right now, you know, every year, it's certainly getting more and more dry and hot. And so, but those things, those principles of capability brown, of large grass and things, you know, in the Midwest, it is actually, you know, we do have these big, you know, pastures and these huge things. And I think uh, these huge vast lands, these huge views is to sculpt. And so, um, yeah, and so that, that I think that's the biggest thing, the, the large uh, brushstroke, so to speak, of British garden design, of, of, of the gardens in the UK in general. Um, those big brushstrokes are what had the most influential, um, profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. On um, I think a lot of times what they did really well is when you find a garden that 
that was really in balance with nature and in balance with design, I think those are the most rewarding, most beautiful to me. And certainly as you get into the country um, in the UK is, is where you see that so beautifully done. Yeah. So let's move back to Allison for a second. Were you uh, on this uh adventure in the UK with Nick? And if not, what were you doing in terms of of your career path at that point? Yeah, so um, Nick and I went to two different universities. He was at Ohio State and I was at Indiana and I've gone on um, like a business path. And so we have never been to England together, um, which is always still surprising. Life is long, <laughs> still there. I know, we'll get there. Um, so no, my path was really driven um, with the business and finance, um, but mainly in marketing. Um, so I worked for a large retailer based here in Columbus in their marketing department. And then I did um, interactive design marketing websites way before like uh, when our son was born. That's when the iPhone was just coming out. So it was kind of really at the very beginning of like, I remember researching how to do a QR code to buy something in a store. And at the time that seemed madness and now it's very easy to do. Um, and so, yeah, no, um, again, really my whole immersion is this is if I want to spend time with Nick, this is where we went. This is what we did. But that's also kind of, I think my power in our relationship is that I come at things not knowing. I don't have the knowledge or the experience I'm yeah. coming through of how, um, I do have a design eye. Like I appreciate that yep. stuff, but I don't know the rules or the limitations. And so like with our business um in the garden design i come very much so as a homeowner would ask questions um and then in general design or at home, in our own home garden i come at it as like this is what i want i don't understand why it can't happen <laughs> so <laughs> where what i'm responsible for is very it's very experimental so nick will give me like that's not it won't work but then sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't um so it's kind of that balance of where um having appreciation for the design aspect of it and how it makes you feel and how you um, enjoy the space. Um, I'm definitely all there, but then I kind of don't understand the rules or the limits of if a plant will survive or not, or um, kind of how to take care of it. But that's well, okay. I think if I can chime in, that is Allison's biggest advantage too, is I think a lot of times we're, we're taught the rules of, of gardening at such a young age and, and you don't push the bound. Allison pushes the boundaries all the time, and and it's so refreshing. And a lot of times she's right, and she said she <laughs> she says that I I'm first say no, and then I'm like, all right, yeah, we can figure this out. We'll we'll do it. And, and that's what really does push us a lot is is her not knowing the rules, and it's great. Yeah, rules are meant to be broken. And uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and I think you know, especially given the path of advanced learning you went on, Nick, that once we get through that, sometimes we have blind spots that we don't see anymore because we're, we are taught these rules. And so to unlearn some of those, because somebody else sees outside of those boundaries and is like, Hey, why don't we put this plant there? And oh, absolutely. You're like, no, 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 we don't do that. Yeah. And then you're like, well, we can do that. I can think of so many things that have changed. The rules have changed since I've left university, right? It's like, you learn its principles and they don't hold up over time necessarily. And I think that, uh, that marriage literally and figuratively of the landscape design horticultural eye and the landscape design business mind is, is a beautiful one that a lot of, uh, young landscape designers don't get and don't have the advantage of. And it's important because it, this is a calling. It is an artistic passion. Uh, but it has, if you're going to survive, you have to figure out how to do it as a sustainable business for a family or a household as well. Yeah. And for our business, we're design, build and maintain. And so right. what Nick is designing and creating, our teams are also building and then going on to maintain. So it has to be able to be survived. Um, it has to not be super expensive to maintain, right? Because our clients are looking at us for that long-term maintenance. And so really it is a full knowledge of a design aspect. How is it, should it be properly built or created so it lives long past us? And how can it be maintained so that that investment is both the design and the installation can live on? Um, 
So that really is like kind of the bread and butter of our company is that we have knowledge at all those touch points. So before we go away from you, Allison, tell us a little bit about the kind of mission of the business, the name of the business. And, you know, when you say you do design, um, you know, build and maintenance, are there, um, is there a focus to, to the work you're doing? And then we'll move to, to Nick. And when I say focus, I mean, you know, are we talking about uh, all native? Are we talking about mostly native? Are we talking about, um, what are we talking about? Yeah, so um, we're McCullough's Landscape and Nursery, and we're based here in uh, Central Ohio. Um, design work happens outside of Columbus, but really the install and maintenance happens here. Um, and really, Nick always says, um, we're gardeners, not landscapers. And so what we're creating as for the homeowners and who are our ideal clients and who we actually are most successful are with people, um, when they come home, we get texts and phone calls saying, I'm in my garden. It's just magical. And commenting on what birds they're seeing or what kind of pollinators. Um, they don't, aren't necessarily educated to know, like, what we're putting in is a native or um, kind of a version of a native. But they can see that and that's what they appreciate. And so yeah. everyone on our team, um, we're pretty small. Um, we only grow with the right individuals and they're all, we always say they're the best, but they're passionate about what they're doing. And um, they are either horticulturists, a lot gone to school for this. Um, but healthcare team is very passionate about making sure that they're doing um, the lowest um, impact possible to take care of the plants and that everything is successful. And so really um, we work to make sure that um, the work that Nick designs and that we install and that the maintenance team is doing can long live and is a great investment for um, the homeowner. Yeah. Yeah. And so Nick, tell us about the, the, the evolution of the, the designing work and the establishment of uh, the, the design company. And I think I also heard uh, Allison say that there's also a nursery involved. So you're clearly growing quite a few of your plants, if not all of them. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So design evolved as I, as I went through school. I think my biggest design client um, happened when I was still, when I was a junior in college still. Um, it was, I should say, it wasn't my biggest design client. It was, it's what got me set on this path and gave me the the it gave me the confidence to know that I could do it and that people trusted our aesthetic vision and what we call what I mean our style we call Midwest modern so it really is the blending of you know everything we do we want to make sure we blend with the ecology of the space we want to make sure that we we do things responsibly and that it also looks beautiful so we generally in general do mainly residential garden design there is a, an event space that we work with but she's uh val is also a great friend of ours and that's jorgensen farm farms here in uh, central ohio so most of our designs are really driven towards towards that and so i'd say we're very plant-centric uh design driven so that means that plants really drive what we're doing uh i think a lot of times certainly in the midwest it's um it's very hardscape driven, can be very um, lifeless, and and we're trying to change that vernacular of, of what garden design is. And so I would say in general, we're very um, driven towards perennials, towards um, plants that are going to give back a lot. And my theory is, you know, as a designer, the plants really need to earn their keep and 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 earn their way in the garden. And so that's giving back to the ecology of the space. That's, you know, feeding the the wildlife around that's giving uh, visual beauty to, to whatever's going on. So, and then have, you know, it has to have a cool, um, you know, aspect to the design of it. And we use hardscapes and a lot of natural materials to, to accomplish that kind of modern aspect of it. It's a lot of times it's really traditional materials, but we use it in, just a touch more modern way. And so, um, yeah, that's really how we've evolved. And, and we're a really, like Allison said, we're a, ver a pretty small company. We only have about 35, 37 employees. And um, that's certainly the, the thing that 
it hinders our growth and we want to grow within our skin as well. We don't want to grow too big that we're not turning out really high quality work. And so that's how we have grown from the very beginning of, of all of our projects in our gardening. Um, and we are gardeners and we, I should say, we, you know, we, we definitely put that personal touch on, on every garden we're involved with. And we don't want to, we're not here to do volume. We're here to do quality. And we're here to really um, make an impact through the legacy of what we're creating as gardens and how we're taking care of them as well. Um, I think the the nurture and the care of a garden directly affects the environment around around the garden and the home and the homeowners. And it's so important. It's such a responsibility that a lot of people don't realize how important it is to not affect um, you know the groundwater or not. You know, it's, it's just, it's such a responsibility that is not taken seriously enough, I would say in general. And, and so again, we're, we're trying to change that and we're trying to change that perspective. And, and we, you know, we always say good work leads to more work and it certainly has, has been the case. This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're in conversation with Nick and Allison McCullough, owners and founders of McCullough Landscape Design and Nursery in New Albany, Ohio. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break when the McCulloughs share more about American gardeners reconnecting with native landscapes that human development has impacted. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Jennifer. So I'm thinking about this idea of gardening and supposed garden rules in design or in planting. And I'm thinking about my trip a few weeks ago to Oxford, Ohio, where I spent the day visiting with graduate students in environment and sustainability studies at Miami of Ohio. At one point in the visit to the research projects at the Ecology Research Center there, one of the young PhD candidates said to me of her Prairie Restoration Research Project, it's kind of ungardening, which struck me as interesting. And I asked her, what do you mean by ungardening? And maybe more to the point, when you use that phrase, what does that mean you consider the word gardening to entail? And we had a fascinating back and forth on what gardening does and does not include, can and cannot include. And you've heard me say this before, the complexity and dilemma and baggage around the word garden and some of the connotations that have been put onto that word in our world, well, they're a struggle, but I will tell you that in my experience these past six years, interviewing and researching gardeners, growers, scientists, environmentalists, culturists, researching relationships with land and plants, the word garden is beautiful and capacious and full of life and includes all manner of relationship. It is attending, it is a learning, it is a knowing, it is a midwife kind of thing, and it is a partnership, like a love relationship of any kind. I say we reclaim the word gardening to once again include and mean and connote all of these things in all of their richness and beauty. But I'd love to hear more about what you think about this and this idea that there is a gardening and an ungardening. I know there is potential in both ideas. And I think it's an important conversation. We're back now to our conversation with Nick and Allison McCullough. They're speaking with us more today about their new book, American Roots, and the 20 gardens featured in it, which all together give a prismatic snapshot of what it could mean to be an American gardener in these times. As we come back, the McCulloughs are sharing more about the focus of their design work and their nursery before we move into the book itself. Well, it, it's ever evolving. We have a fantastic growing team. Um, and so really perennials is how we started growing. Um, 
I've been fortunate to travel quite a bit in my travels in England and Belgium and Holland. And, and so I've met wonderful people from around the world to, who have these nurseries, um, these mom and pop nurseries. So our nursery is, is private right now. Um, so it's only for our own consumption. And I was reading about these plants in Gardens Illustrated or what, whatever magazine it was or what Pete was using on the High Line. And so often finding sources of those, especially in the early 2000s, was, was very impossible. But I could find the seeds. So I'm like, well, I'll just grow them myself. And so that's what we started doing. And so really we grow the unique, um, the perennials that we use a lot of. And so on any given year, we'll grow, oh, it could be 10,000 perennials that we'll use. And often, you know, that's for, if we're doing a really large job, that's not enough we'll have to buy in from other suppliers. And we do, I mean, we, we certainly buy a lot from within Ohio, within our region. And, and so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we, we saw the need and it was a niche that we needed to fill and also makes our designs very unique. And so, um, I think it certainly could be one of those things that we we could start selling um, kind of our mix of perennials. Um, they are harder to find. They're, you know, I, I love eryngiums. I love just all the calamantha montrose white is one of my favorite perennials. I love all the grasses um, from Hacknacloa, the straight species to Sparabolus. And, you know, so it's one of those things that, you know, that's the plant, the plant nerd coming out in me. And I'm certainly, I geek out on that stuff all day long. And Allison, when we first started dating, would just roll her eyes because I would be speaking in Latin terms. And she's like, oh, my gosh, like, well, please stop. We would go on walks <laughs> in neighborhoods. I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at, you know, look at that, you know, whatever, whatever it was at that time I was obsessed with. And so, yeah, so that, so that came really naturally. But another thing we, we do is we grow, we do a lot of container designs as well. So, um I think we think containers are a great way to, to add that pop and certainly um, and put your spin and um, seasonal spin on, on the garden and it's easy to change. And so, so we do a lot of container gardens. So we grow um, a lot of tropicals, um, subtropicals and annuals for our clients every year. And so, um, yeah. And so it's, it's our way to control that um, we do it. Uh, yeah. And then we change up our, our palette um, to what we think is going to suit us for the next year. Nice. And I think that also fits into this uh, little, um, you know, kind of matrix, as it were, of of the, the business sense is that one of the great uh, obstacles, I think, for designers in, in our world right now, especially as we move toward climate appropriate, low input, for the most case, uh, you know, native plants is it's very hard for designers to find good plant material uh, and and sources for those plants, and so this is a key way to do it. We we are also worried about the integrity of our large scale plant uh, sources, and uh, what has been put on them, or or the conditions under which uh, the plants were grown, or the humans who were growing them were were cared for. And so this is one of the, I think, innovations um, that we're seeing happen. Um, almost as like a, a secondary wave. I think we had a really beautiful independent nursery uh, layer in our horticultural world, you know, in the in the '90s, and then we saw with the Great Recession and, and increase in land prices, a lot of those disappear because they just couldn't hold on, and we went through this kind of a little bit of a you know mini dark ages of not having good independent nurseries and now i feel like i am seeing uh, a nice little renaissance of small independent nurseries and or uh design build grow options in 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 our different areas and i can think of you know down in philadelphia or Austin, Texas, or out of Illinois. And so, you know, that is a very hopeful sign to me. So now I'm going to move us uh, over into the book, American Roots, because that's all about design, build, grow, and hopefully thrive uh, with, with kind of blueprint models for people to look at and remember that gardening doesn't just happen in New York uh, and San Francisco and Los Angeles, maybe Chicago, right? But that there are a lot of great gardening models 
in out-of-the-way places that are overlooked by our mainstream garden media. Um, and that, to me, is one of the great joys of American Roots, including the fact that it starts in the Midwest, you know, so like having your home garden be the, the <laughs> kickoff garden to me was just such a, a great embrace of the power of gardening um, across our country, not just by coastal. And um, these are not just flyover states. These are rich meccas of not only design, but horticultural wealth uh, of plants and plant communities and bravo you too. So start us off with the, the catalyst. What, why did you decide to do this book? And um, what was the process in ultimately formulating what the final result would be? And I, I, I'm not sure who to start with. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, I'll probably start now. Allison will certainly um, chime in and maybe correct the timing of things. But it's something that was always on our list to do was to write a book. Um, and, you know, and Allison is the one who pushed, pushed me. I remember when I was still in school and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, run this family business and you know, we'll do this. And she's like, wait, you don't want to write a book or something? Don't you want to like become an expert in your field? And, and so ever since then, it was like, oh man, I, yeah, I, I certainly, I do want to do that. And I just didn't know. And so Allison's has always been a great uh, to motivate and to push and to strive for things that are like, you know, I sometimes consider was out of, out of reach. So the catalyst was really, um, we, we've been able to travel so much across the country, meet such amazing uh, friends and, you know, people we didn't know with friends at the time became friends in the horticulture industry through organizations like the Perennial Plant Association, the, the Association, uh, the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, those sorts of things. So these tours that we would go on, um, you know, you'd get into these really personal spaces. And as I started to grow and got into my 30s and now 40s, um, we, our friends, you know, have these gardens and we would, we would travel the country and end up in a garden with a gin and tonic and, you know, wandering around at dusk talking about the latest, the latest, um, you know, addition in the garden or, you know, and so that, that was really the catalyst for this. And then COVID hit and, you know, we're all stuck at our house and gosh, COVID was such a mixed, mixed blessing. Like it was such a tragedy as far as a pandemic is concerned, but to have that time to be forced to be in your garden for people who had gardens was such a luxury. And it made, I think if anything, it made us slow down and refocus on what is really important to us as, as individuals and as a society and to have those outdoor spaces. Um, and, you know, you didn't have a choice but to, to do it. So you would really get involved in the little details. And so, you know, social media was the way in which we were following our friends across the country, how they're coping with the pandemic, how they were uh, what they were doing. And a lot of them were doing some crazy cool things in the garden because they had time to do it. They had no choice but to slow down and be in their garden. And so for us, that was the catalyst. So, you know, as the pandemic, for, you know, went on and time passed and, you know, these, those ebbs and flows of what, what was happening, we, we talked at Timber Press and, um, well, out, I should say, I should back up. Uh, Alice and I was like, we were in our friend's garden, Scott Eckley's garden in Seattle, Washington. And Scott is just one of the most funny, fun individuals you ever meet. And so we were in his garden and he had a, a little party for a group of friends at the end of a conference. And we ended up there and we we're like, gosh, this garden, it had been in, published in some small, some magazines, I should say smaller magazines. It wasn't, it was like sunset, but just a little blurb of it. And so there was an opportunity to sell, to tell the bigger story, to elaborate on what's going on. And, and the personal space, the personal garden of a designer or a creative in general, not everyone in the book is a designer, but they're creative in their own way. And that space is so special because we, we push the envelope. We, we experiment it's what, you know, we get to see how we want to use the space that we want. It's for like relaxation or if it's for as a native garden or as, you know, whatever it is in on these 20 different stories in this book, but it's a way for us to find solace in our sanctuary in the garden that was so important. And so uh, certainly the pandemic was a, was a great catalyst, but also, you know, 
the, these friendships that we had created and many of them at the initially were just, were on social media. They weren't, they were social um, friendships yeah, yeah. that now have become, you know, really solidified friendships. Um, and I'm not saying social media friendships aren't real. They are certainly, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's different. So um, that was it. And, and Timber Press was such a great partner and they just believed in every aspect of what we were doing. And we had such great support from them. So they let us um, run with it. And so it was fun because I photographed, I think all but three gardens of the entire book. So um, it got me back to my artistic background and an upbringing of, um, and I learned a lot through photography. And, but I have, I think I've always had a pretty keen eye, but this really let me push the boundary oh, yeah. for, for sure. And so yeah. it was so rewarding. So essentially the summer of 2021, we traveled the country um, from coast to coast, um, some with our kids, some with not, not <laughs> without our kids. Um, and, uh, so it was, it was a really short time period too. So Allison, tell me your experience of this idea and, um, um, and, and how it, it started to come together, especially because I think, uh, ultimately the book is co-authored by three of you, um, Nick, Allison, and Teresa Woodard. How did the actual progression of the book come together? Because I can see here that there's a large creative mind who's like, and then we're going to photograph every independent small garden across the country in every state. And Allison is the business mind comes in is like, Nick, dial it back just one notch. Um, how did it how, how did it all come together uh, from a planning perspective, Allison? Yeah. So, I mean, the idea of kind of, I mean, when Nick said it started at Scott's garden, it really did because that was a garden that we went into. Um, and I left a, our garden's horrible. Like we have to redo everything. This garden, it's small and it has a place for the kids to play, has a place to eat, has a fireplace. Like we have 50 people in nine, that means like 25 people in here and it feels giant yet intimate. And um, how he did that, how he took the space, and as someone, especially for Nick and me, who's immersed in this environment all the time, to leave a garden and just feel like so inspired and how to like make changes, that was really the garden that was like, there's learnings from all these different individuals, um, from something that's a small garden to something like ours, which is on acreage, right? And so we were toying around, toying around, and um, Teresa... Um, we've worked with Teresa before locally, but her ability to tell someone's story, um, how to bring out them and then also kind of paint a picture with the words, take you through something before we got too far, even figuring out uh, she came on board because she was the best person to do the voice um, to kind of paint the words that go along with all the pictures. And so um, we kind of have a rough list of people um, that we were that generally really inspired us. The gardens, some of them ones um, selfishly we wanted to see, like we yeah. wanted to learn from them. And some of them we had already been to and already impacted us. And so we kind of had an initial list and that's where the pitch came to Timber was the idea of a book that um, included the story, the reasoning, how did it come, the person or people that built it along with um I don't know if I should say this, but like the garden porn images, like those really beautiful ones yeah. that you're looking at them and it's just, oh, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the hallelujah yeah. pictures, yeah. <laughs> um, with those big, beautiful ones, but then also there's constant like a learning, something that you could take from this. So someone like me who doesn't fully understand um, all the different types of hydrangeas or something, um, or how do you create an outdoor room or divide up a space, like really taking that learning in a way that someone um, who's more early in their journey could learn from, but also still have information that um, someone who's more experienced can really learn from too. Um, and so that kind of three-part aspect of the book was what was key. And um, then Timber said yes. <laughs> and so Nick, Teresa, and myself, we traveled the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that's so great. Yeah. And it, we, Nick talks about being during the pandemic. So we did it last summer and it really was us all just, I mean, all but I think three of them, we all went to 
Um, I think there's like maybe maybe five that we didn't all go to together. But for the most part, it was a group of the three of us with Teresa's husband and we were experiencing it um, and then being able to translate that to the pages of picking the right photos. This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're in conversation with Nick and Allison McCullough. Their new book, American Roots, features 20 gardens, offering inspiration for good gardens in these times. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break when the McCulloughs share more about what they were looking for in the gardens they ultimately photographed, wrote about, and included in American Roots. Hey, it's Jennifer, thinking out loud this week. In this very vein of what it means to garden and what it means to ungarden, or perhaps unlearn, old conceits or constructs attached to the word garden. I am a closing plenary session speaker at this year's California Native Plant Society's Conservation Conference, focused on the theme of rooting together. And my panel will focus on the many faces and ways of relationship to seed in our environmental and conservation worlds. In part, I am this closing plenary speaker because my next book will be published about one year from today, and it is focused on the state and faces and diversity of seed in our world. In my closing panel at the Conservation Conference, I will be joined by remarkable people, including Brooke Thompson, a Yurok and Karuk native from Northern California, fighting for water and Native American rights. She's working toward her MS in environmental engineering at Stanford University and consulting on the revegetation plan of the undamming of the Klamath River. I will also be joined by Andrea Williams, Director of Biodiversity Initiatives, including the CNPS Seed Strategy for the Native Plant Society, by Chris Sarabia, Chair of the Board of CNPS and Conservation Director for the Palos Verdes Peninsula Land Conservancy, and finally by Pat Reynolds, Director of Native Seed and Nursery Program and General Manager at Heritage Growers, producers and distributors of native environmental seed in Northern California. I think it's gonna be a great germination of a panel. I'll fill you in on how it goes. And if you happen to be attending the conference, please make sure to come by and say hello. Together, we root, we seed, we grow better. And we're back now to our conversation with Nick and Allison McCullough of McCullough Landscape Design and Nursery in Ohio. Nick and Allison are sharing more with us today about their new book, American Roots, and the 20 gardeners and gardens featured in it across the U.S. As we come back, Nick shares more about the character of the gardeners behind these 20 American gardens, the rules they break, and the new garden design and planting paradigm they represent across our landscapes. Allison talks about the garden, but it's really the gardener was such an important part of this as well. Um, it was in what way? Yeah, describe yeah. that. Break that down for me. Well, it's the, so these gardens were basically to to really boil it down. Were in general designed by the homeowners. They were the creators. A lot of times, they were the installers. A lot of times, they're main, the maintainers. And so, you were like literally. This is the, this garden is the personification of of this, or, the, or vice versa. You know, this person is is this gardener. And so I think that was the most important thing is that um, it wasn't done by an outside source or things like that. So that's what you're seeing here is you're seeing these, um, these gardens that really are these people. It's, it's their voice put into, into the garden. And so that was a, a very important thing. And it was also like, uh, yeah, I don't, Allison, do you want to, you want to chime in on, on this part on, on this part? And it's interesting to me, I'll just chime in while um, Allison is is looking and trying to synthesize this, because 
there's a big difference. So uh, Caitlin Atkinson is one of the gardeners in your book, and she and I uh, co-created Under Western uh, Skies, which is sort of looking <laughs> looking at a, a similar cross-section, but just in the West. And, you know, we were specifically looking at gardeners who were trying to work with their environmental climate and, um, you know, with, with their places. And y- yours has that same... Um, appeal in that we're looking as at gardens that are not just objects that were purchased and placed by someone else for someone to to look at they they are living evolving relationships and the hand of the gardener and the heart of the gardener are just right there in front of you and that's different right that's a very different thing um and you sometimes can't define how how that is or what that is, but you can feel the difference when you're standing in that space. Yeah, I think, um, well, we feel maybe the generalization of someone maybe from outside the United States or American gardens is very trapped in that post-World War um, turf, beautiful grass, foundation plantings. And so mainly we're sadly so many of our gardens actually are they still are not these gardens not these gardens exactly so really what we're looking at is a very diverse way people totally challenged broke that entire mindset like if you kind of look through the book you'll see there's very little turf um just because i think ours has the most but it's just changing people changing that as not being the way that they are interpreting their garden and so like I was um, like Ben in Nebraska is kind of one of my absolute favorites. Um, yeah. Benjamin Vogt, who uh, listeners will remember, I have uh, interviewed uh, about his first book and I think he's in his second book now. And um, he really pushes the boundaries and challenges all of us to say, you know, what is, I mean, he's one of the Prairie Up guys and um, yeah, just making our, our garden and our garden impulse serve a much greater good than um, a lawn and some foundation exactly. paintings. And if you look at his garden, like the photographs of his garden, like it is in the most suburban, like row of houses. And then there's his garden and it's completely different. It's completely challenging that. And so it's, these are the gardens we selected and the gardeners are really just, they're challenging that and they're experimenting with that. And they are using what they can do that survives in their environment. Cause if it doesn't, that's the other aspect of this. This is really is a moment in time because if things aren't successful, they're onto something else. They're trying to find something that is more successful for where they are. Um, and uh, some plants, there'll be some plants that are kind of, you will see on the East Coast and the West Coast because they are surviving in these gardens. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. something they're forcing. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of where the criteria came from is just who is in inspiring in the way they were interpreting their garden here in America. Yeah. Yeah. I'd really love you to each maybe share one or two of the gardens that like are the first that come to your mind when you think about the project. And I know that's hard because there are 20. And so I'm not asking you for your favorite or the best or, but just the ones that come to mind for you right now today, you know, I mean, as I look through the book, I think of, um, Michael and John's Saconic Garden in Rhode Island, which is one of my longtime favorite. I, I'm in Little Compton every summer for my whole life. And to see that garden grow these past decades is pretty great. But, you know, then I look at Caitlin Atkinson's uh, home garden in uh, Northern California, and it's very subtle nuances. And, you know, it's if you if you don't look twice, you could almost think that it was just there naturally. But if you look a little deeper, you can tell that the gardener and and her her heart are are right there, actually working with the space in uh, a very curated way. So, you know, as you as you think about them, share one or two that uh, come to mind and the lessons you took from that. No, well, I mean, it's that's a loaded question because you know they're, they're all just so fantastic. And and one thing I should say is this is twenty gardens. This could have been one hundred and fifty gardens, and, and you know this this could be a five volume series. Who knows? But and 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 it was that was hard to boil down. But 
the people who inspire me are John Holm um, out of New York, out of Bedford, New York is, he's just one of the most, um, gosh, he's just so good at, he has such a great eye and the way he, he wove um, the plantings in with the home and the setting in such a, a natural way is, is so just so inspiring. Uh, Keith out of Atlanta or, you know, the uh, suburb of Atlanta is in his personality so comes through in his garden. Um, he's one of the most photogenic, one of the funniest people you ever meet. And Johnny and Mike, I mean, it's, it's just, I could go on and on. Johnny and Michael are just, you know, I have, we visited their garden a number of years ago and we're just, we just left like gobsmacked with how they uh-huh. reuse found items and how they, the stories, the layers of which their garden is built and personality. And I mean, but every single gardener in this book has that same story. So that's why we're so proud of it because we think that each one of these stories really kind of ring true uh, into that, into that, you know, that same feeling. So, and those are just the ones who came to mind right off the top of my head, but they're, they're all to me, you know, have such a deep personal connection. But, and I should describe for listeners just so um, they're clear, the book is set up around the geography of the United States. And as I already noted, it beautifully starts in the Midwest. And then, let's see, then we move to the East Coast, then the South, and then the West. And there are a handful of gardens in each of these areas, and each one is wildly different um, and and interesting. So there are, there are you know, a, a range of ages, a range of backgrounds, a range of purpose in your garden, which I found inspiring. You know, there were flower farmers, and there were event planners, and there were, you know, strict horticulturalists. And um, so that was, it was nice, because there was a little something from each one that you could relate to, but you didn't have to relate to all of each of them, if if you get what I'm saying. Um, Allison, when I come to you, and, you know, what are some of the other ones that pop up for you, and, and what you um, absorbed, or what landed for you from these gardens? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I always say gardeners are kind of, as an industry, are the most um, sharing and welcoming. Like, they will tell you the name of every single plant. They'll tell you where they got it. They'll tell you if it was successful or not successful. They'll tell you, like, oh, see this over here? We're ripping it out. We're going to change this. Um, So kind of, like, for me, the gardens that were most impactful for me were when I was hearing that from them because that kind of validated all my failures or things that I was trying. Um, and so Erin, um, the impatient gardener out of Wisconsin, she was one of the last ones. Oh, yeah. oh we shot her and um, just kind of walking through her garden. And um, I think she's, her knowledge and skill set, she's a little too humble about. Um, she's amazing in what she trials and does. Um, like her, I remember we have um, some black basil now in our garden that we attribute to her because the way she used it and we saw it. Um, I think that one was kind of really impactful for me about how she used annuals, um, in a way that most people don't always think to, um, mm-hmm. hers was one of one of my favorites. And then, um, gosh, let's see, I'm going to use John Carl office out of Kentucky. Um, the way he uses his garden to share it with other individuals, um, he opens it up and uses it so much for fundraising and tours and it really sets it up so that no matter who's in his garden, they're educated. Um, that one is another one that was really inspiring um, to me just to be like, this isn't just for us. This isn't just our private garden. There's the ability to share this with others um, and use it for good or use it to um, inspire them. So that was kind of another one. But again, there's all these little stories and hopefully the book and Teresa does an amazing job communicating all of this because um, that kind of information is really the story of them and how passionate they are as Nick says the personification of each other um, is kind of what the whole meaning of the book was in our experience creating it and I loved the um, you know as I don't know predictable or formulaic as it might be the little tip call out sections were really helpful and they're full of like just quick information you can take uh, that I found um, really really a success in in the formatting of the book as we come to a close you know, you two are clearly embedded 
and enmeshed in the horticultural world on all of its levels. As you think about your children, as you think about our environment um, across the country and the impact that you saw as you traveled, um, not only of these gardens and their influence in the world, but also some of the negative impact that you clearly would have driven by and around. And why is this work important? Why is this work important in our world right now? Let's start with you, Allison. Right now, people believe that they can garden or that they kill every houseplant they bring in their house. And um, what I think is really important now is that it's okay to experiment and it's okay to have failures, um, but it's also okay to kind of um, experiment and just get outside, get dirty. Um, hopefully a lot of people are moving, buying homes if they're moving out from cities. Um, they're not just falling into that pattern of how this is how my parents took care of the garden or this is what my neighbors looks like. Um, right now, I feel like people are much more okay with doing it their own way, being a little quirky, being a little weird. And um, I think with our kids, they are definitely to that point where it's they're so comfortable with being individuals, um, having their own. We talk about them being as weird as possible. Like they're okay with that and we hope they stay that way. And I think that's the path that gardening's going in and kind of taking your own personal space and really doing it your own way. Yeah, I like that. What about for you, Nick? Yeah, I think, um, gosh, this is an ever-evolving landscape. I mean, and I mean that as a country. And I think we need to be very cognizant of protecting what we have and what we have left. Um, kind of the deforestation and the, the um the engineering of the american landscape is pretty shocking and it's moving fast it's moving but you know too fast in many cases of development i think that's something that's really terrifying to me and we we need to make sure we get the plants back into into the landscape architecture and into the the vernacular of what of what this is and really own who we are as a society but you know our kids, our, our son who's 13 and our daughter who's nine now, gosh, they're that voice of reason. And they love to watch the birds. They love to uh, uh, kind of track the path of the butterflies. And, and there is good out there. And gosh, there's so much good. Um, I think we certainly get involved in, uh, or we get immersed in so much um, bad news, bad publicity. But man, there's good souls out there who are single-handedly changing their and their environment controlling their landscape and making it beautiful but also making it healthy and, and giving back so much i mean so many of these gardens give back so much in food to the to, to the local to the local landscape and to the local neighborhood and to to you know to there was so much life in these gardens and so that was so so inspiring and you know we are at a pivotal point um but after this i came out of it so inspired that there's so much good out there to that wants to change and so uh that i think was one of the most important things that we learned and and these 20 are just are just the tip of the iceberg right uh, but hopefully these people hopefully people read this book see that inspiration and they see that um Gosh, we everyone in this book made mistakes all along the way. And we talked about that and these little tips and tricks that we put in here and, and armed you with all the information that you need. Um, you can go make your own mistakes, right? Or have your own successes. Yeah. And, and that's what gardening is. It's ever evolving. It's never finished. And, and that's the important thing about this American landscape. We're diverse. We're quirky. We're fun. There's so many regions and... And that's the amazing part of, of what we have here. We're, we have such unique, large geographical area um, where there's just so much ability to experiment and have fun. And, you know, that, that's, that was the thing that I, I, I left in this, this book, this experience. And, you know, there's only, I don't know, say 600 images in here, you know, go out and, and, and you know, people find people's stories and, and, and that's, that's the fun thing. Talk to gardeners and ask them why this tomato tastes so good versus this one. You know, that's, that's what American gardening is. We love to share and, 
and and you know it comes back to my, my you know all the way back to the beginning of growing up on a strawberry farm i mean it, it really comes full circle for me where that's what we want to do as gardeners is we want to share we want to help succeed and and every person in this book wanted to share every ounce of information and that's what i, I love about it the, the american gardener is amazing and that's what i love about it Wow. And every every garden and gardener like these represented in American Roots uh, is contributing and they are like beneficial mycorrhiza inoculating their regions with hope and diversity and um, new models for us to grow better. So I really appreciate your time today and your work in the world. Thank you both for being with me today. Well, we're, we're absolutely thrilled and thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Nick and Allison McCullough are the owners and founders of McCullough Landscape Design and Nursery in New Albany, Ohio. They are the co-authors with Teresa Woodard of American Roots, lessons and inspiration from the designers reimagining our home gardens, out now from Timber Press. Speaking of plants and place and American gardens, especially starting from a Midwestern place in the autumn, it's hard not to be taken by the honey colors and dynamic play of our seasonal, ornamental, and prairie grasses. And for me, in this moment in the garden, it's my blue grandma grass, Budalua gracilis, or mosquito grass, sometimes also known as eyelash grass. Drought, heat, elevation tolerant, Budalua gracilis is listed by the North Carolina Cooperative Extension as hardy from zones 3A to 10A. Budalua gracilis has a generous native range across much of Western and Central North America into Southern Canada and Northern Mexico. Prairie Moon Native Seed and Plant Nursery in Minnesota reminds us that not only is this native clump grass a solid, non-native thirsty turf grass alternative, but it's also the host plant for Leonard Skipper and the common branded skipper. The Budalua genus is noted by the flora of North America as having upwards of 40 annual and perennial species across the Americas. The genus is named for Spanish botanists of the 1700s, and in much of the West, the genus includes a whole handful of our important prairie and wildlife forage grasses. Budalua gracilis, gracilis meaning graceful, as well as Budalua aristoides, needle gramma, and Budalua curdimpendula, or side oats grandma, which is native to the west, central, and eastern U.S. all the way down to southern Mexico. There are patented or trademarked clonal selections and cultivars available in the trade, such as Blue Grandma Blonde Ambition, the low-growing selection Hachita, which High Country Gardens out of Santa Fe recommends as a good mown grass choice, and angel eyelash grass. But hearkening back to Uli Lorimer's and other guests noting the importance of the biodiversity that straight species offer, the straight species of Budalua gracilis is indeed graceful and a solid garden or lawn alternative choice. As a warm season grass, it greens up a little later in the spring than a cool season turf grass. When its flowering stems shoot up and its inflorescences emerge, they have an inky blue purple tint to them that slowly unfurl to their full shimmering honey-colored eyelash effect by late summer. As they are in my back garden right now, and they will hold this striking effect against the deep evergreen of a manzanita and a dwarf rosemary through much of the winter. Fall and winter is a good time to seed or plant plugs of blue grandma grass as ground cover or as accent plants, and many people recommend you do both, plugs and seed. You will be happy you did come next year this time when the ripple of a fall breeze and the low, golden, intense fall sunshine lights them up and has them dancing in your American-rooted garden. 
Join us again next week when we round out the month of October in conversation with artist and green spirit Louisa Roebuck, whose newest published work, Punk Ikebana, Reimagining the Art of Floral Design, is a wonder of wild gratitude and abundance perspective, setting the table for the season of grounded gratitude in front of us. Join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at cultivatingplace.com. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with weekly web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. We were happy to be heard on the airways at KMUN in Astoria, Oregon recently. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.